no matter how successful, strong, smart, it doesn't matter. You are going to have setbacks. It's just, it is life. Like you said, all these people that we look at and call and consider successful, the Oprah Winfrey's of the world, the Warren Buffett's, the Bill Gates, the Jeff Bezos, these guys have all had tons and tons of setbacks. The difference is they kept getting back up. And by the way, as a solopreneur, entrepreneur, in my mind, that is the one thing that separates successful solopreneurs and entrepreneurs from not as successful or unsuccessful. You're listening to Ken Wentworth, also known as the real Mr. Biz, to everyone from listeners of his popular radio show to Damon John of Shark Tank fame. That's because Mr. Biz is a true pro at solving the most pressing problems business owners face in keeping their business profitable. And you're about to hear some of his best advice now because Mr. Biz is today's guest on Solopreneur Success. Welcome to the Solopreneur Success Podcast, where successful business owners gather to share true stories and sound advice to help you start and grow your own solopreneur business. Come soar with us and design the life you love. Now, here's your host, Steve Combs. Hello, solopreneurs. Today, I'm interviewing Ken Wentworth, also known as Mr. Biz, who serves as a fractional chief financial officer and strategic business partner for business owners who want to run their companies more efficiently and profitably, keyword being profit, as that's what separates business owners from hobbyists. So I've been looking forward to today's conversation. So Ken, welcome to the show. Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this since we got it booked. I listened to a couple of your shows, and I think with my background and some of the things I've done, I think it'll likely, my story will likely resonate with a lot of them. I'm sure it will. You you have a fascinating background because I was doing my research as well. Uh, I don't just bring anybody on the show. I want to have somebody here who could really help the audience. And you have a, a fascinating background. I'd love to hear a little bit more about, maybe just give us a little background on, on you and how you got into business. And I know you have another special thing about you that some people don't know, but you have actually set six world records. So tell us a little bit about both. Yeah. So I've worked in the corporate world at JP Morgan Chase for let's just call it 20 plus years, Steve, we don't have to get too specific. Okay. You know, you can see, tell by the gray hair, but I worked there and had a fantastic, yeah, I had a fantastic career, loved it, but I got it to a point where I knew that I could be helping more people. And um, I had two revenue generating ideas I had that were sold for the stereotypical big company, bureaucracy, red tape, et cetera. And i had always wanted to do my own thing. I always wanted to run my own company and my own business. And with that second one, that was basically the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. And I said, okay, that's it. That's the sign. It's time. I need to make the leap. And as I like to tell people, I was up in New York City. And that evening, after all my meetings and everything, I get to the airport. I'm sitting there. I call my wife. Ironically enough, I was going to be promoted. I was in the top 3% at JP Morgan, and I was going to be promoted into the top 1%. And that's when I decided I was going to leave, which sounds completely counterintuitive. But I told my wife, hey, I'm going to be promoted, blah, blah, blah. My wife, who's a nurse, non-business whatsoever, right? She said, oh, my gosh, that's so fantastic, all your hard work, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, and by the way, I'm going to leave. <laughs> and my wife said, so wait, oh, your plane's leaving. You got to go because your plane's leaving? I go, no, I'm going to resign. And then there was like at least a five-second pause of dead air. And she said, did you get to the airport early? You've been drinking. <laughs> She's I said, like, no. And she said, well, how about if you take a nap on the plane ride home and, uh, and we'll talk about when you get home. And once I explained to her sort of my thought process and all that, she was completely on board. 
And uh, so, yeah, made that leap. And, and by the way, I'll mention, Steve, for other out there listening that may, have, may be in that scenario now or close to it. Again, I was a entrepreneur. I wanted to start a business and I got my master's degree, company paid for. I had to stay for at least two years to avoid having to pay it back. So I literally started the clock and said, okay, I have two years to figure this out. Well, the end of that two years was 2008, which was the economic crash, of course. So I got to do a lot of really cool stuff. So that kind of re- rejuvenated me back into my corporate career. But being able to t- make that leap, I didn't even know what I do now. I didn't know what a fractional CFO was. I'd never even heard of it because I'd been in the corporate world my entire career. So I was completely naive to all of this in the entrepreneur space. So don't be afraid to make that leap. I just knew, and thank goodness I was confident enough that I would figure it out. I, I just knew that I would be able to figure it out. I didn't know what the heck I was going to do. But I knew I could figure it out. And I knew I had a little bit of runway, might save some money, et cetera, and had some capital to start the business. But I made the leap. I made the leap. And as they say, as an entrepreneur, you know, you you build the plane on the way down after you jump off the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sometimes works that way. I know it did for me. I, my journey, as others have heard, I won't go through it today. But, you know, I got laid off in 2009, also same Great Recession. And it was one of those times where I was already started in the business, but it was a side venture. I said, okay, well, <laughs> we're going full time now. I drove home with a smile from that last job I had in the corporate world. And I'm not at all regretting that decision, but it wasn't always easy. Yeah. And, but like you said, you, you have to stick to it. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about the, you know, the business you started, because you mentioned like you didn't have an idea what a, what a fractional CFO is. Uh, it was mentioned at the beginning in the intro. That's a chief, <laughs> I'm going to mess this up here, chief financial officer, duh. So a chief financial officer, but is that what you started as when you jumped out into the, your own business? And how did that look? Yeah, I did. And so here's the funny part, Steve. And this sounds, now that I've gone through it, it sounds, I feel silly for not having thought of it before, but I sat down with a mentor and we went through every job I'd ever had in my entire life. He had this giant whiteboard and picture this big conference room, big giant wide whiteboard, right? He starts on the left side. And he said, okay, tell me your first job you had. And I said, okay, when I got out of college, I did. He said, no, no, no. The very first job, the first thing you ever did that you got paid money for. And tell me three things you liked about it and three things you didn't like about it. Okay, what was the next one? And so we went through every single position that I ever had, including being a newspaper delivery boy, mowing lawns, all of that, right? Going all the way back. And so again, it sounds really obvious now, but at the time it was like groundbreaking for me. We got done with every position I'd ever had. And so then he went back and circled all the commonalities and said, okay, these things you like, this pops up repeatedly. These three things pop up across the board. And these things pop up repeatedly that you don't like. But we need you to find you a job that you can do A, B, and C, and you don't have to do X, Y, and Z. I said, okay, that sounds great. What the heck is that? He said, you need to be a CFO for like six or eight businesses. I said, how in the heck do you do that? Right? I was used to in the corporate world, being a CFO in the corporate world, that's a 60, 70, 80 hour a week job for one business. Like, how do you do that for multiple? Because I had, again, I was completely naive to the concept of being a fractional or part-time working with each business owner on a part-time basis. And so once he explained it to me, it made a ton of sense that you have so many business owners before the pandemic. I don't know what the number is now, but I know just in the US, there were 28 million small business owners. And How many of those are really, really good at producing the widgets they make or the service they provide? They're fantastic at that, but maybe they don't have the business experience and or the financial experience to be able to run their business as profitably as they should be doing. 
and they don't need someone full-time. Maybe they're not large enough to need someone full-time. And so it just made perfect sense to me. And I got my first client and it was, I think it was the second week I was on site. I was driving home from, it was a manufacturing company. I was driving home and I'm telling you, it was like a scene from the movie, Steve. I was driving on the highway and all of a sudden it's like the clouds parted and the sun was shining and like, ah, you know, the music's playing. It was like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I know for sure, without any doubt, without hesitation, right now, this is why I'm on this earth. I'm supposed to be doing what I'm doing. And I absolutely love what I do. I mean, it's not work for me. I absolutely love it. So kind of a long-winded answer. But yeah, I started out, that's what I did. And, and uh, working, got my first client and just have gone on from there. That's terrific advice. And by the way, for those who are listening and thinking like, I, I want to work for myself, but I'm not sure what to do. That's a fantastic process to walk through. Just do that. You can do it yourself at home. You know, put in a piece of paper, put in your own whiteboard, write down everything you've done for pay. And like those three likes, those three dislikes, write those out. That's a great tip. Uh, so make sure you haven't missed on that one because that's that's huge. And I, and I love what you said about that. Some people think you have to follow your passion in order to have your business. I don't necessarily believe that's completely true, but it certainly makes your business life a whole lot more enjoyable. If you're doing something that you enjoy day to day, you can get up and be fired up about it. Now, what you're fired up about may not be making the widget, but it might be serving that customer. It might be whatever that business end result is in your life. I can certainly see that. And you, I mentioned at the beginning also, you, you actually have these multiple personalities. You're like a massive weightlifter as well. And I, I don't know how much you're still in weightlifting today because you know, you've set several world, world records here. But tell us a little bit about that background. Yeah, I was always a gym rat and worked out a lot. And I was in the gym a lot and became friends with some of the guys that were competitive powerlifters. And they invited me to train with them. And at first I said, I, I'm not even close to your level. I, I need to get stronger before I'd even sort of join the group. And I worked at that and I got stronger. And uh, yeah, I just started lifting. And when I do something, I go all in. So I decided that, you know, I wanted to, the very first time to, to give you just some round numbers is the very first time I was able to bench press 275 pounds. That's when I decided I'm going to bench press 500 pounds. And even the guys that I trained with were like, okay, that's great to have big goals and all, but maybe you should pump the brakes on that and be a little more realistic. (laughs) (laughs) But I didn't allow that to stop me. Now, it took me seven years to get from 275 to 500. And I had injuries in there, all sorts of different things. But I think a lot of that, I'll be real honest with you, Steve, you mentioned it earlier, is my confidence in me just leaving a lucrative corporate career and not knowing what I was going to do next, but being confident that I would figure it out. A lot of that, if I, as I look back now, had to do with my success in the powerlifting world and being able to be successful and accomplish things that no one's ever done before. Again, I can lean back on those and say, gosh, if I could do that, I can apply those same sorts of things to any goal I have, including this of starting a business and what would it look like and things like that and be successful. So, and I would encourage all the listeners, Everyone has this in them. There are some, I'll guarantee you, every single person out there, you have accomplished something. Maybe it's not a world record, but you have accomplished something that you look back on now and you go, holy cow, how did I ever do that? And think of the discipline it took. Think of the, I call it consistent perseverance. You get knocked down seven times, you get up eight to accomplish whatever that one goal was and apply that to other goals you have, whether it be career goals, personal goals, family goals, spiritual goals, whatever they are. 
if you use that same methodology that you use, you can apply that across anything. And really, and I don't mean to sound like some rah-rah coach or whatever, but really you can accomplish things that you could never believe. I graduated high school. I was six foot tall and I weighed 150 pounds. Now I run into people I went to high school with now and they go, wait a minute, you bench pressed how much weight? Like, are you kidding me? Right. But it just goes to show you, I'm a regular guy, but if you apply those types of things, you can do it, you know, and I've got a little methodology and we may get into that a little bit later that I apply that I figured out that I didn't realize that I had sort of created this methodology. It was in my head that to accomplish those goals, again, no matter what form of your life or phase of your life it's in. Yeah, I think physical toughness and mental toughness are really two sides of the same coin. And in business, you may not be, you know, unless you're doing like really hard labor when your business, and that's probably going to be short lived as you get older, I guess. But you are going to have to have toughness in your mindset if you're going to succeed in business because you will have challenges, you will have setbacks. It's just part of life. Anything you do is worth achieving, you're going to have setbacks. You have opposition. Otherwise, everybody would be doing it and you wouldn't be a leader in your industry in a niche. Right. So take that toughness approach. I would love to hear that methodology because I, I think that's so important because to be physically tough, you have to first be mentally tough. That's something I experienced in the military. It's something I've seen from successful people in all walks of life. It's mental toughness that comes first, not the physical toughness. So I'd love to hear. I'm, I'm sure there's a, a huge mental game in there that came to the physical achievement, but first it had to be in the mindset. I, I just know that's the case. So yeah. I'd love to hear about how that works. Yeah, 100%. So, and I'll give you the real short version. So, of course, you have to have a, an acronym and make it sound cool so people remember, <laughs> right, Steve? So, I call it SMAC, S M A C. And I give a keynote on this. So, I won't give you the keynote version, of course. I'll give you the three minute <laughs> version. But the letters, the S stands for it, really, it's mindset. Start with yes. So, with any goal you have, you need to start with yes. And that is, these are in order, right? You got it. This is the very first thing you have to do. You have to have in your mind, you are going to accomplish this goal. Not, I'm going to try. I'm not even a big Star Wars person, but one of my favorite quotes is from Yoda Do or do not, there is no try. When, some, when one of my kids says, one of our kids says, oh, I'm going to try to do this. I'm like, no, no, no. You're either going to do it or you're not going to do it. You need to commit. Start with yes. So that's the S. Start with yes. Good. The M is model expert behavior. So more than likely, whatever you're uh, trying to accomplish, no matter what it is, there's someone out there who's already done it or done or forged a path to where you want to go. There's no, you don't have to recreate the wheel. Learn from them, replicate some of the things they did to get there. And even if you want to do things like something that no one's ever done before, you want to set a world record, go find someone who's set a world record before or who's been successful. That's exactly what I did. I live in Ohio. I found a guy who was a world record holder in powerlifting, lived in Iowa, found the guy. I said, hey, could I come out there? I'm going to get a hotel. Could I stay in your hometown for a week and train with you for a week? And this guy's like, excuse me, who is this? Like, <laughs> Right? But I wanted to learn from someone who's been there, done that, someone who's had that discipline, someone who's figured out what it takes to be able to do th something like setting a world record in powerlifting. Why wouldn't I want to learn from someone like that? So I, I've not done that throughout my career, personal life, professional life. Find someone who's already done it and learn, just pick their brain, learn from them. So, and then, so that's the M. The A is around accountability. So creating a sphere of accountability. And there's a lot of ways to do that, of course. And of course, you've got to hold yourself accountable. That's super important. But I like to consider it a sphere of accountability because when I talk about this, having that sphere of accountability is so important because no one likes to disappoint people. So if there are people around you who are going to hold you accountable for whatever that goal is, you don't want to disappoint them. 
So when I was had a competition coming up, as an example, and I worked in the corporate world, anyone who would ask me anything about my lifting, I would tell them what my goal was to next competition. Knowing that when they, like, for example, if I said, oh, I have the national championships coming up in April and they say, oh, well, you know, what are you, what's your goal? I would tell them the goal, knowing that when I see them in April or May, more than likely, they're going to say, how did it go? I know that. And I don't want to have that awkward conversation of saying I fell short. So I was creating that sphere of accountability for myself without having to say, hey, by the way, Steve, would you make sure you ask me and hold me accountable for this? I didn't have to do that. It just naturally occurred. So that's the A. And then the C is, I mentioned earlier, is consistent perseverance. So again, these are really, like I said, in order. Start with the S. You have to have the mindset first. And then find an expert. Learn everything you can from that expert. Create the, So then you put together your plan on how you're going to accomplish this goal. Then you have the accountability, create that sphere of accountability, be very transparent with people around you, what you're trying to do, what you're going to do, sorry, not trying, and then consistent perseverance. Because as you mentioned, no matter how successful, strong, smart, it doesn't matter. You are going to have setbacks. It's just, it is life. Like you said, all these people that we look at and call and consider successful, the Oprah Winfrey's of the world, the Warren Buffett's, the Bill Gates, the Jeff Bezos, these guys have all had tons and tons of setbacks. The difference is they kept getting back up. And by the way, as a solopreneur, entrepreneur, in my mind, that is the one thing that separates successful solopreneurs and entrepreneurs from not as successful or unsuccessful. Consistent perseverance. The ones that give up never make it. The ones who refuse to give up and say, you know what? I figured it out. That's not the right way. Again, it's history, but presuming this is all correct. When they said when Thomas Edison was inventing the light bulb. He said, it took him a thousand tries to figure it out. And he said, my gosh, how did you not give up? And he said, I found 999 ways it wouldn't work. That's how he approached it and saying, oh, gosh, darn it, it didn't work. He said, oh, okay, well, now I know one another way it won't work. So let me try this way. That doesn't work either. Let me try this way. Consistent perseverance. He just kept trying, kept trying, figure out a new way, try new things. That is the most important part of all of this. Yeah. And one thing that you recognize from what he did there is he didn't model himself to say, I have to make it work this exact way. He says, here's the desired outcome. Let me find a way that makes that desired outcome. And that's a whole different approach than some people take. It's like, oh, I'm going to be a business owner. I'm going to be successful. And it has to be exactly this path. And your path might vary from what you thought. You have to be flexible enough to continue when you hit those little curves in the road. And that's awesome. What do we do when it came to something like you had to step back? You mentioned me right before we had this conversation today, uh, Ken and I were talking. And he mentioned how he had this process, and I'm just going to bring it up now because it just comes to mind with, with what we're talking about, is getting the trademark for Mr. Biz. And, and that's, as a business owner, I'm also interested in the same thing. Solopreneur coach is a trademark phrase of mine. It's something that I would love to have a registered trademark, but that didn't come easy out here. <laughs> so I would love to hear about that process. This could be interesting to a lot of folks who are listening who would say, I'd, you know, I'd like to have built a brand and I want to make sure I protect that brand. What did that process look like for you? This is one of those perseverance moments I know. So I'd love to hear that story. Yeah, absolutely. So I would stress, um, especially as a solopreneur, as you're building a brand, no matter if it's a Mr. Biz brand or any, doesn't matter what it is, whatever that is, that is intellectual property asset. You know, whether you want to sell the business down the road or it doesn't matter, it's critically important. And what drove me to do it, Steve, and this is going to sound a little funny and I feel I'll be transparent, I'm a little vulnerable here, is I was having lunch with an attorney friend of mine. Again, this was a few years back, and he noticed that my social media accounts had really grown significantly for Mr. Biz. 
He said, man, it's just great. You're building this, this huge brand with Mr. Biz. This is fantastic. And he said, you have that trademark, right? And I said, no. He goes, oh, you know what? I have a great idea. Why don't you build it up, make it really big, and let someone else trademark it and send you a cease and desist letter? That sounds like <laughs> a great idea, right? And I'm like, okay, well, now that you put it that way. So I immediately started, said, oh, I can figure this out on my own. I went out, filled everything out, and I got rejected. The U.S. Patent Office came back to me and said there was a similar trademark and it was going to be confusing to consumers. And so they rejected me. And I just said, I have to have this. I mean, as I continue to build this Mr. Biz brand, I have to have that trademark. And so at that point, you got to bring in the big gun. So I hired an IP attorney to help me. And she was absolutely fantastic. I probably wouldn't have been successful without her. No, not probably. I would not have been successful without her. She was fantastic and helped me through it. But yeah, the process ended up being, I want to say it was about 19 months. Now, part of that was in there to be full disclosure. We had we had to wait on, there was one mark that was similar to Mr. Biz that was expiring. And so we had to wait uh, so four or five months in, in between there for that to expire to before we reapplied and all that kind of stuff. But so that lengthened the process a bit. But yeah, it was one of those things. And then the process, you know, anything to deal with the government, it's just so lengthy. My rejection came in 90 days. Right. I knew within 90 days that they rejected me. And then the rest of the process took another 16 months to actually get it approved. So, I mean, I'll tell you, it is if you have anything that is unique to your business, it's super, super important. And I've really realized that throughout the process of getting the trademark, it, it is just critically important because, again, think about that. That could happen to you. If you build a business around something, around some sort of branding, and someone else either already has it and you don't know because you haven't checked. Or, and they don't realize it until you, you're three or four years in the building, or someone, people do this, unfortunately. There are unscrupulous people in the world. Someone sees you're building it and says, oh, I'm going to get the trademark. I hate to even mention this, but it happens. They'll go get the trademark and essentially kind of blackmail you, basically come to you and say, hey, I have this trademark. You can't use it anymore, but I'd be willing to sell it to you. And again, hopefully you wouldn't run into that, but I know it has happened a bazillion times in the business world, unfortunately. So uh, pretty important to make sure you take care of those intellectual property assets. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's kind of a scary idea that somebody can come by and just, just steal the rug off from underneath your feet when it comes to what you've built. And I know there's other folks who are coaches of solopreneurs, other people who help you know, as fractional CFOs. But whatever your business brand is, when you're building your presence on a phrase or on an image, like you said, you've got to protect that. You've got to you know, stake your claim and make it as obvious that you know, there's something different here about what you're doing, because that is what your brand is, is how do you set yourself apart in the marketplace? And that, that's really important. I'm curious, so, so that, that initial rejection, was it because of that other mark that was similar or was that the key sticking point there? Yeah, they had, I think they gave me three reasons, but the primary reason was there was a, a Mrs. Biz trademark. And oh. they said that that was going to be confusing. And that's, that's the one we had to wait. It was expiring and she hadn't renewed it. She hadn't used it as best we could tell. She hadn't used it in like five years, at least five years. So we didn't think that she was going to renew. So we just waited until that renewal expired for her and then got the Mr. Biz. But yeah, it's interesting because as I said, for that to happen to me, if I wouldn't have gotten Mr. Biz, I mean, that would have just blown me out of the water because Mr. Biz started from my radio show, the general manager of the station. Someone referred to me as Mr. Biz one time, almost kind of jokingly, and they started to promote my show, Mr. Biz, unbeknownst to me. And it just absolutely took off. 
And a weird side note to that, just recently within the last, I don't know, I guess six weeks or so, I was on the Clubhouse app. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but a new audio only app. But anyway, I was on there and I ended up on stage speaking with Barb Corcoran and Damon John from Shark Tank. And it was all because of Mr. Biz. Damon John had seen me in another room and my name on Clubhouse is Mr. Biz and then parentheses Ken Wentworth. And he recognized Mr. Biz. Now, on Clubhouse, if you're unfamiliar, the only thing it shows is your a picture, you know, whatever profile picture you use and your first name. So if I had Ken, what's the likelihood that Damon John would have remembered Ken? But he remembered Mr. Biz. And so I ended up in a conversation with Barb Corcoran and Damon John because I had Mr. Biz. And by the way, Damon John, it was like an infomercial. I wish I could have recorded it. He literally said, and there were hundreds, if not a thousand plus people in this room, he said, look. Anyone else out there who you guys hear calling themselves Mr. Biz, they're not the real Mr. Biz. This guy is the Mr. Biz because he went through the process and got the trademark. Fantastic. Yeah. And not to mention, like you said, infomercial free advertising. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. I'm personally on Clubhouse. I've been talking to some of my uh, coaching clients who are actually on Clubhouse, but I'm actually on Android. And it's like Apple only. It's like, you should one of them you should get an Apple just so you can get on Clubhouse. <laughs> that, that's what, honestly, Steve, that's what I did is I had two business colleagues of mine that don't even know each other, completely independent within a 12 hour period. Both of them reached out to me and said, You have to get on Clubhouse. And I said, I'm an Android guy. And they said, Go buy an iPad. And I talked to each of them individually and I said, Okay, fine. I didn't realize again, because I'm not an Apple guy, I didn't realize that you know you get an iPad for like 300 bucks. So I went out and bought an iPad. So I've been on an iPad this entire time. I will tell you, if you haven't heard, they just opened it up for Android in the US on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. That's good to hear. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Two days ago, they just opened up. If you need an invite, let me know, because I, I think I have some invites. I can send you an invite so you can get, don't have to be on a waiting list and all that. Yeah. I appreciate it. I've actually got a couple offers already, but I definitely okay. appreciate the, the hookup there. Yeah. Yeah, because we're recording this is uh, May 11th, so this is like Mother's Day. It came out. It sounds like for Android. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So, tell me, Ken, Mr. Biz, how do you, when you're working with somebody in a business, when you come in the door and, and somebody says they're they're hiring you for a purpose, I mean they're they're going to give you money. Mm-hmm. So, what do they expect from you in, in exchange for that money? I mean, obviously, you're you have a show and you're building reputation. You have branding, but when somebody actually comes to you and says, "I'm going to hire Mr. Biz." What is that actually the desired outcome they're typically looking for? Yeah, I mean, a lot of times it's business owners that kind of like I laid out before is they're really good at whatever product or service they create or provide, but they just don't have the business experience. And now the business has gotten maybe big enough to where they're like, I might have some problems here. And typically when I come in, every single client I have, I start with, I have three pillars of financial success. And these are, I start with every company. Some companies need more Need help in all three. Some of them need only help in one or two. But the first one is cash flow. Without cash, you don't have business. And even if your cash flow is okay, there are almost always ways we can improve it, make it better. And the cash flow thing is, as all business owners know, it's just going to make you sleep better at night, right? You're not going to worry about, oh my gosh, I have to make payroll. Or as a solopreneur, I don't have to worry about paying my mortgage this month, right? As a solopreneur. But the mortgage, I'm sorry, mortgage, the cash flow. And then budgeting, the infamous B word, as I always say, not, not that B word, but you know, budgeting is so critically important. And a lot of business owners don't take advantage of that and because some of them don't know where to start. Some of them don't know how to build one. But almost every business that I've ever worked with has never had a budget before. 
we put a budget and we institute a budget. And in the first year we have a budget, almost every time they have a record-breaking year. And these are companies that have been in business for five years. I've got one that's been a client for about five years now that they had been in business for 26 years, had never had, they had a budget at one point, but they never really monitored it and used it effectively. We created a budget. And after 26 years of business, 27th year after putting this budget in, they had a record-breaking year. 28th year was better than 27th year. It's just, it creates that accountability, something to look at to see where you're at versus your goals, et cetera. Budgeting, super, super important. And then then the last one of the three pillars for me that I use is pricing. I know it sounds really obvious, but a lot of business owners have what I call is the silent business killer. And the silent business killer, uh, you got to give it a catchy name, but silent business killer is a product or service that you offer that is either at best is break even, or in most cases is actually unprofitable. And I call it the silent business killer because almost all businesses have at least one product or service that fits this, but they don't realize it. Because you know a lot of owners will say, well, Ken, why would I have, why would I do that? Why would I have a product that's unprofitable? That's the point. You have it, you just don't know it. And it it's becomes completely counterintuitive to someone who doesn't have experience because that particular product or service, you may be selling a lot of it. So your revenue is going up and your net income is going down. You're bringing more money in the front door. You have sales are up, but your income is down. You're like, that's completely counterintuitive. Why is that? My expenses haven't changed significantly, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's, those are the three things that I start with, with every business. Once we have those foundational aspects, then it depends on what industry you're in, what specific challenges you have in your business. Some owners are, are more adept at, on the financial side of things than others. I had one client that I joke with her, and if she heard this, she would laugh. I happened to stop by. She was local. She said, oh, you caught me. Um, I'm interviewing. And she had gotten rid of three COOs in the prior nine months. I looked at my calendar, and I had one meeting, and I called and moved it. I said, do you mind if I stick around and participate in the interviews? And she said, why would you do that? I said, well, I'll be honest with you, Nancy. I don't think you're a very good picker. So, <laughs> and she said, CFOs do that? I said, this one does. You know, because in the corporate world, again, I've been fortunate to have the experience of hiring hundreds, if not a thousand or so people over my 20 plus years in that space. So, you know, I've got a bit of a knack, I think, for being able to find good people and, and sort through some of the, you know, all the hiring challenges and things like that. So, so yeah, from the three pillars of financial success, then we kind of branch out and it's individual to each business. Yeah, I love what you said too about, I just got to point this out because so many business owners are focused on revenue to a fault. Yes. And it's not what you bring in, it's what you keep. That's what matters. So if you're spending faster than you're bringing in, you don't have a sustainable business. You're simply going to fall flat in your face. It's just a matter of how long until you go bankrupt or how much debt are you going to get into before you go bankrupt? Really what it boils down to, you, you know, you're borrowing to, to just keep things afloat, it's going to come a reckoning day. And oh, yeah. you, you have to have profit. You have to have profit in there. And if it's and not it's, coming in, cut it. <laughs> and it's funny, one of the things you always hear, so whenever you talk to a business owner, when you ask how big their business is, almost every single time, they tell you what their revenue is, right? Oh, we do 3 million a year. We do 2 million a year. We do 500,000 a year. And I get that because it's kind of common nomenclature. It's cool. Where's the margin? <laughs> right. And then, but then take a step from there and I say, well, what kind of margin are you operating on? And they almost always quote the gross margin, which is not gross margin to me. It's while it's important, especially in manufacturing, it's very important, but gross margin can be artificially manipulated. And I don't mean, I say artificially because you might not realize it because you just don't have the financial 
understanding of how that should work and what should be included and what shouldn't be included. So for me, it's net margin. And for those out there, again, not to get too deep into the accounting weeds, but net margin, I think that everyone will agree with this. Net margin is your net income divided by your sales, by your, your revenue. That's the margin I want to know. I want to know how, of the dollars that I'm bringing in the front door, how much is ending up in my pocket at the end of the day, right? That's what everyone cares about at the end of the day. Gross margin is way in between there. That doesn't account exactly. for what ends up in your pocket. You could have really high, you could have a 70% gross margin, but be losing money, right? You don't have any money coming into your pocket. Everyone cares about what ends up in your pocket. So for me, I'm all about net margin. Gross margin, important, Same. but not nearly as important as net. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you're saying that. You've got to hammer that drum constantly because if you're not focused on what is your net, what is your net, what is your net, what is your net, you don't have a net. You, you get a hole in your net. <laughs> so right. you're basically going to lose it all. So yeah. you got to focus on that. I'm so, I'm so glad you said that. Of course, being a CFO, you're going to have that idea to, to focus on profit. That just comes with the territory. I'm, I'm curious, you know, we're going to take this conversation next to issue. Like I told Ken at the beginning of this conversation, I just roll <laughs> with these conversations. And I, I'm really enjoying this. Uh, I'm just, just going different directions here. But I'd love to hear a little bit about, for your perspective, what is the, like, the number one challenge that you see with people who are starting a business, getting off the ground to actually become successful or it's sustainable? I mean, is, it, is that the issue? Is it the net profit or is it something else, the net margins, or is it is something else? What, what's typically the biggest hanging up point that you see for new business owners? Well, I'll tell you, so U.S. Bank did a study and... 82, so we always hear these stats, right? There's stats all over the place about the percentage of businesses that start and don't make it a year or five years or 10 years. But of the businesses that fail, regardless of at what point they fail, 82% of the businesses that fail, fail due to cash flow problems. So over three quarters, over three out of four, three, you know, whatever, three and a half out of four fail because of cash flow. And again, it makes sense, right? If you don't have cash flow of business, but a lot of that probably, in a lot of cases, goes back to what you just mentioned, Steve. They got a hole in the net and they don't realize it and or they just keep fueling the fire and, and borrowing to sustain the business. That's why, again, that's why cash flow is one of my three pillars of financial success. You got to get that right. But you know, another thing, honestly, outside of the financial side of things, which that's, again, you got to make money to continue, but it's what I mentioned earlier is that consistent perseverance. And, and I should say that's one 1A is um, execution. So I'm sure, Steve, I know people, I'm sure you know people as well that are visionaries, that you have buddies, friends, then you have these ideas and you're like, oh my gosh, that is a fantastic idea. You see them six months later and you go, hey, how's that going? And they go, oh, well, and then they're telling you about some other new idea. And there's nothing wrong with that, but those type of people, they don't execute. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just not their strength. And a really good real life example, I feel like, is Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was successful because of Wozniak. Yeah. Wozniak was the executor. Steve Jobs was the visionary. He had all the exactly. ideas. He's like, hey, this is what we need to do. Without Wozniak, Steve Jobs may have never been successful because he, he was that visionary. He had all these ideas and all these things he wanted to do, but he had to have someone to do the execution. So a great idea doesn't go anywhere without execution. Another real life example that a lot of people don't realize, there was an Uber before Uber. Uber did not come up with that idea. Some of the guys that started Uber were in a, a city that was using a beta version of what the first version of Uber. And they said, oh my gosh, this is so clunky, we could make it better. And they did. And, and I think it turned out pretty well. 
<laughs> yeah. I think I think statistics will certainly show that Uber has <laughs> arrived in, in the world, uh, even barring you know California trying to shut them out in so yeah. many ways. But yeah. we, we won't go in that conversation today. Yeah, that's that's so cool that you say that because you know what, you can have the greatest idea in the world, and people have great ideas all day long if they just take time to write them down. But pick one and do the due diligence research, and then you just said, Ken, you got to re- execute on that idea. If you don't execute. You really don't have anything but an idea. An idea doesn't bring any money in bank. And if you don't execute, think about it. You could be, you could end up being, I don't even know the name of whatever it was, the pre-Uber, right? You could have some great idea that someone else sees that you didn't execute or you executed very poorly on. And they they take the idea and say, we could do it better. And they do. And then all of a sudden, they're, they're running this giant company that absolutely just takes off and is is the next Uber. And you're sitting there upset because you didn't execute. I mean, so it's super, super important that, and by the way, again, going back to the Steve Jobs example, if you're the visionary and you're not an executor, that's completely okay. You got to have a self-awareness to realize that and bring someone into the fold who is an executor, who gets stuff done because the, the two of you together will be like a Steve Jobs and Wozniak, like Bill Gates had it with Steve Ballmer. There's all kinds of examples. Hardly anyone has ever made, been successful on their own. They've always had been different things. And I think a lot of it is those visionary people need the executor. You can't be just the executor because you don't have the ideas. You can't be just the visionary or you don't do the execution. So super, super important. That's another challenge too for self-care because you are kind of the business, you and yourself. And <laughs> you're all you. But that doesn't mean you can't. And I've said this repeatedly on his show is and my clients and and, in the community but just because you're a sole producer doesn't mean you can't have a team you can have a virtual team you can hire somebody like ken as a fractional cfo for example that's building somebody who is not your i don't know maybe you do you work in w2 or you like 1099 with folks or how does that work anyway i'm just curious yeah just all 1099 so you're not an employee so i can be a solopreneur and hire you as, as a fractional cfo I'm still a solopreneur, but I'm, I'm getting the virtual team support that I need to grow my business. Yeah. And it's funny. I'll just throw another thing out there since you kind of went down the path a little bit, Steve. Someone just asked me, and I was hosting a clubhouse room when someone said, well, how do I know when I need to hire someone, a contractor, W-2, et cetera, or I'm sorry, uh, 1099. And I said, well, there's a couple of different ways. One, if you have self-awareness enough to know what you're not good at, fill in the gap. And so I mentioned to this person, they wanted to get a coach. And they said, how do I pick a coach? Because there are a bazillion coaches out there. How do I know which one? And I said, here's what advice I would give you. Sit down and have a really honest conversation with yourself and write down the most critical aspects that are important for the success of your business. Make up, I'm making it up, say there are eight things that are most critical. Then do a very honest self-assessment of yourself. How many of those are you really good at? Let's say you're good at five of them. And the other three, you're like, eh, not real good. And I don't really enjoy them. Hire a coach that's good in those three. Because the cumulative effect of having a coach that fills in that gap of you not the three you're not good at with you being really good at the other five, your company will absolutely explode. Because I will guarantee you those three are holding you back. Because again, it's just human nature, right? The things that we are not good at we don't enjoy doing, what do we do with those things? We procrastinate them. Then we procrastinate and then it becomes a deadline. Now it's a rush. Now you're rushing doing something that you're not good at and you don't enjoy. So you probably don't do as good a job at it. So that those three parts of your business end up suffering. So get rid of some of that headache. 
The other thing I always tell people is as far as a 1099, outside of those areas of expertise, the other thing I would say is it's a really easy check. Sit down every week, optimally a month, right? So you have a full cycle, but at least on a weekly basis, be conscious of any task you have to do for your business as a solopreneur that makes you sigh or roll your eyes. Write it down and find someone else to do those things. Delegate it because those things are driving you crazy and decreasing how much you enjoy running your business. And again, it's probably just a handful of things, if that, might be just a few of those things that are really dragging you down. I know I used to have a couple of them. It impacted my overall satisfaction being a solopreneur of because it was like, oh my gosh, I still got to do these things. And getting rid of those, oh my gosh, it's like a huge weight lifted off your shoulder. And you're giving it to someone who's an expert at it and they love it. So it's like a big win-win, right? You you take the weight and they go, man, I love this weight. This is great. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And call back to what you just said too, also about, you know, a lot of us do like to focus on our strengths because it makes us feel good when we perform well and what kind of where our charm level is, right? Yeah. But it's like a, if you have a car and you got three great wheels on it and you get a flat, you don't get a next upgraded brand of tire for your other three that's still already good. You, you got to fix the flat. So right. that makes sense. And then I love what you also said about this whole idea of just hiring what you're not great at. I'll also say for me personally, I think it's also important to see who can you hire or delegate that'll bring in more money to your business. Like in other words, for every dollar you spend with that person, are they going to bring in revenue that's profitable revenue, obviously? Can you bring somebody in that helps you increase the value of your business overall? I think that's also another thing. And I love what you said about delegating though. I'm I'm oh, here's that's what I was also thinking of when you said delegating, sometimes you don't need to delegate. You just need to cut it all out together. Maybe you're doing yeah. something that doesn't need to be done. So take a look at those processes and say, do I really need to do this? Is bringing value at all? Or is it such minimal value? It would make any significant difference if I just cut it out. And I've been doing that evaluation of my business very recently. And I've cut a number of things just in the past week. Yeah. Uh, so this is an important process to do regularly. Yeah. Cut out and or attempt to automate, right? If it's something you say, oh gosh, I don't like doing it. I can't really cut it out. Is there a way to automate it? So put in a little work up front to be able to automate it and make it. There's another thing I, I want to add to what you said, Steve, I think is a really important distinction. And a lot of people don't realize, because I, I agree with you as far as hiring resources that have an ROI, the return on their investment, right? They're gonna, you're going to bring them in. They're going to increase your company. Sometimes people don't take a holistic view of that. Let me give you a real quick example, because I had this question of, I had a, a friend of a friend who's a realtor. This is a few years back. And he said, I was asking how the business was going. He said, oh my gosh, I have more business. I'm selling houses like hotcakes, but I'm getting bogged down with a lot of administrative work, which I can't stand doing. And it's keeping me from selling houses. And I said, well, then hire a VA, a virtual assistant. He said, I don't know if I can afford it. I said, you can't afford not to. Again, I'm a numbers nerd, self-professed. But So let me run you through some real quick numbers here to show how powerful this is. And, and maybe this will help some people out there frame what it looks like to make an investment in a resource that's not necessarily a salesperson, but it still has a return on investment. Yeah. So using that VA example with a realtor, I told him, I said, let's say you hire a VA and you pay them 20 bucks an hour just to make it a round number, make it simple. And they do one hour of work per day for you. So five hours a week. So that resource costs you $100 an hour. So over a year, it's $5,200, right? But here's the powerful piece of that. That one hour per day, five hours per week, saves you 260 hours a year. Put another way, that's six and a half weeks of a 40-hour work week. 
So I looked at this realtor and I said, how long is your typical sales cycle? Meaning how many houses could you sell if I handed you an extra 260 hours of time to, to sell houses? And you didn't have to worry about the administrative piece of it. And I said, By the, so, and what's your average commission? So that resource is costing you $5,200. What's your average commission on a house? How many houses do you have to sell to pay for that one resource? One, maybe two houses. If you can't sell two houses in 260 hours, you probably need to find a new profession, just being honest. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but, but think about how powerful and how much, even though that VA is not going to do any selling for you, it's going to free you up to be able to do, I call them RPAs, revenue producing activities. It's going to free you up. So what can you do with those extra 260 hours? And it's going to get rid of the stuff that you don't like to do. The things that I mentioned earlier that make you roll your eyes or make you sigh and you don't like doing them, right? Get rid of them. Find someone who's really good at it, really enjoys it, frees up your time. Now you have an extra 260 hours for $5,000 in a year. My gosh, that the return on that should be just a huge multiple. Let's say if you sold 10 houses and your average commission, let's say it's $3,000, that's $30,000 in revenue that cost you five. That's a 6X return yeah. on your... If I told you, Steve, I'm going to give you... If you give me a dollar, I'm going to give you $6 back. You would say, can I give you like $6 million? Or can I give you a million, yeah. million back? Right? You want to do it as much as you can. So I think people really need to think about that. And literally, we were at lunch, and that when I laid that example out for the realtor, he said, oh, my gosh. He said, first of all, I feel like a knucklehead that I didn't figure that out on my own. He said, second of all, I got to go because I didn't go find a VA like yesterday. <laughs> Great example. I love that. Yeah, I hire out all the time, and I don't just do monetary activities. But like you said, it has to be value to the business, like writing show notes for this podcast, for example. I don't do that myself anymore. It takes too much time. Yeah. What I want to love to do. I love having a conversation with you. Speaking of conversation, I know we're running up close to the end of the time here, and I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I don't want to forget it. Let's tell our listeners where they can find you at, Ken, and, and what's a good place to connect. Yeah, I mean, honestly, we're active on all, pretty much all the social media platforms. If you go search for Mr. Biz, you'll probably find me. YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse. Yeah, <laughs> it, follow me. If nothing else, you know, I tell people this all the time. If nothing else, you know, we share content pretty much every day, Monday through Friday on all the platforms. So if nothing else, just follow and take in the free stuff. The, the YouTube channel has, I don't know, probably 150, 200 videos that are typically all about four to five minutes long on a bunch of different topics. We've got playlists. So for example, if you had questions about cash flow, you can go look at the cash flow playlist and pick out which two or three that might be good for you. But yeah, if you search for Mr. Biz, you should find me. Yeah. And I'll have a show notes with all the links in them in there, which I won't be writing myself, but we'll make sure they're in there. <laughs> so uh, make sure you get that. And Ken, when I, when I spoke to your team, they also mentioned you had a, a couple of books out there. And one of them was How to Be a Cash Flow Pro. And I think your team had a, a special offer on your behalf that I'd love to put in there as well. Yeah. Any of your listeners, if you guys want a free, I'll send you a free e-copy of the book. Just shoot us an email at orders at mrbizsolutions.com. And we'll shoot you a free copy of it. Um, and it's runs through all the different scenarios. I, I want to say there's, I forget, someone counted it up. There's, there's more than 50 cash flow improvement tips within the book. So more than likely, you could find at least a handful that you're like, would be helpful for you. But uh, yeah, happy to send that out. Just, uh, just shoot us an email and we'll, we'll get one back to you. Yeah, thank you for that. And I will have that again in the show notes. So just listen for the link at the end of the episode. Uh, Ken, thank you again for joining us. It's been a great conversation. I hope to uh, maybe connect with you again in the future here. 
Yeah, no, I really appreciate having me on, Steve. I enjoyed the conversation a lot, and I hope it provided some good value for your listeners. Thank you for listening to the Solopreneur Success Podcast. We hope you discovered valuable advice on how to start and grow your own successful solopreneur business. If you liked the podcast, you'll love the all-new Solopreneur Success Connections community at solopreneurcoach.com. Here you'll get exclusive access to our private, members-only community of business builders, free business building resources, and live online monthly training designed to accelerate your business success. Join us now at solopreneurcoach.com. Hey, solopreneurs, it's Steve Combs again. Or maybe I should say howdy now as our family recently moved from the wonderful state of New Hampshire to the great state of Texas. And the great news is we're getting settled into our new digs and all the terrific interviews I recorded over the past year back in New Hampshire that haven't been published yet are finally heading your way. So make sure right now that you hit that big subscribe button on this podcast so you don't miss a single episode. As you just heard from Ken, He has a wealth of information available to you for free on his website and social media channels and his free book for the asking, and you'll find all the links and information you need on the show notes page for this episode at solopreneurcoach.com forward slash 040. Speaking of free stuff, if you like this episode with Mr. Biz, you'll really love to be a member of my free Solopreneur Success Connections community. Not only do you get free monthly virtual networking sessions with other business builders, as well as tons of free and discounted business resources, you also get to attend live expert-led business trainings every month. And this month, we have a very special guest trainer. Next Monday, Mr. Biz himself will be with us at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on October 18th to share how easily you can improve your sales volume without quote-unquote selling. All you need to do to attend is be a member of my free community. You'll find the link to that on the show notes page, as well as everything else that you heard about on today's show. So make sure you head over there. Be sure to get registered in my community. If you're not already a free member, grab that link and get on there before Monday. And again, that show notes page can be found at solopreneurcoach.com forward slash 040. Talk to you next week. Hope to see you at the live training with Ken on October 18th. Have a great day.